everybody. How's it going? Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge podcast from Jerusalem U. I always say our name differently. Did you notice that? The Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast. What are we called? The Jerusalem U Teacher's Lounge Israel podcast. No? That can't be right. <laughs> uh, where we keep you connected to what's going Matt, on in Israel. that's for you. That's a cute And give you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host and my boss, Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? It's going, Mike. All right. And the guy who can't stand that I always start the podcast that way, our producer, okay. Matt Littman. How's it going, Matt? How's it going, Mike? It's all right. I like the fact check. You know, I like the fact check. So it's the Jerusalem U, colon, Israel Teachers Lounge. Sounds good to me. Okay. Well, we made that we made that pretty well without Alan getting too distracted. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that doesn't always work. <laughs> well, it's the news is busy. It's fall, and we wanted to reflect on a strange moment where we sort of feel like we're on the precipice of something, and yet the big story hasn't hit yet. In Gaza, it's. Dozens of rockets flying over the border into Israel, and now it seems to have quieted and, down. And mortars. and mortars. And mortar shells. And you can explain the difference between rockets and mortars in a minute. And in the West Bank, uh, Abbas is now out of the hospital and appears to have appeared before the government. And that story also is a potential huge story, the death of Abbas and what that will mean in the West Bank that hasn't. And Matt wants to bring up a third story. Matt, what story are you? Yes, he does. Which story are you? I'm fascinated by the most high-profile Ole we've had this week, who is a Russian oligarch, billionaire, multi-multi-billionaire, in fact, Roman Abramovich, who for our uh, listeners in England, who is also the owner of Chelsea Football Club, which is, so it's made big news. Oh, that's why he's so interested in it. Yes. But uh, I would say that you really forgot the most important story that's happened in the last 24 hours. Which is? That Roseanne Barr's uh, new uh, remake or redo show has been canceled. You know. Because <laughs> that seems to be trumping all the news that I keep getting on my phone. Uh, there is something wrong with a media culture, with a journalism culture, where that story is a top headline and not in the entertainment section. As a all society, the news fit to print. All the news fit to print used to have a TV section in like section C where you could yeah. learn about what's going on on television. And I am old enough that I remember a day when that was a different section of the newspaper and would not make front page New York Times headlines or Washington Post or CNN or anything. And the well, fact you also that, probably remember when they used to print what was going to be on TV that night. Instead of being able to click on the TV to see what was going to be on the TV, you actually had to have that little magazine. And that little magazine would tell you each week what you could watch and at what time, and you would know. And if I didn't care about what was on TV, I would buy, you know, I wouldn't have to buy that magazine or read that section of the newspaper. But today, the entertainment news has become front and center news for reasons that to me are inexplicable. Um, and I think largely unhealthy. The, the point of journalism, as I understand it, in a democracy, the reason the French called it the fourth estate, is because it is the response, because citizens choose leaders, and informed citizenry is a crucial aspect of democracy. Therefore, uh, 
it is the responsibility of journalists to to inform their readers of what's going on in the world so that they can choose leaders who can address the problems that exist. They can review in real time how they're doing. They can listen to future leaders, but they have a sense of what's going on in the world so they know how and where to vote. Roseanne Barr, I don't have to vote for anyone. I'm not voting for the head of ABC. It's not relevant news unless I'm curious about entertainment. And that is entertainment journalism. And that also has a longstanding tradition for people who are Maybe she'll make a run for the White House. She's going to be very popular with the old right now after her uh, statements last night. (laughs) So for me, the frustrating thing about it all in this sort of surreal existence we live in is that when was it two weeks ago when we had the embassy move and the whole, you know, um, Balagan on Gaza? So it's all front page news. Pro- Israel's, ki- you know, killing protesters and it was everybody was talking about it. And and yesterday at seven o'clock in the morning, we, you know, all of a sudden rockets and mortar fire started flying over the border. What's the difference between rockets and mortars? And, and so rockets are. Are I guess you would say uh, homemade, um, um, meaning they, like they make them. You know, they take these shells, like they, they shoot them further. Basically, rockets are f- go further. Oh no, rockets are self-propelling. Mor- mortars are the explosion. Mortars are shot out of right, shot tube. out of uh, a tube. Um, cannons, basically, tube cannons, and they're they, they're much. They go much closer. And they fly lower. And so they're less um, uh, susceptible to be intercepted. Um, they and they're do closer less to the border. They can do less damage. Well, it depends on the size of the mortar and the size of the rocket. A rocket is a heavier be, form of... No, the rockets can be pretty small and, the, right. and mortars can be pretty big. And when anyone I, who ever I, had that Klug in camp where you make your own rocket knows that rockets can be very small. But in military, occupa- in military application, you can do a lot more damage overall with rockets. And then there's yeah. missiles. I mean, I mean, we had, we had, when I was in a... There's also missiles, in, which was, is another category. Yeah, missiles are a whole category. I think that the, whatever. I mean, I, I, I when I was in the Army, so we, I was in the artillery, we had the biggest mortar that Israel had, which is a 160 millimeter mortar, which was a very big thing that Israel could shoot, like, pretty far into Lebanon. But, uh... They got rid of them and sold them to some African country because uh, they were too old. <laughs> so now the biggest mortar is 155. Anyway, so you were frustrated is, is that, that the news doesn't cover when Gaza attacks us, but it, it does cover when we attack when we defend ourselves. Right, more or less. It was a buried. It was at most a buried issue in the news, as far as I could see. Maybe I'm wrong, but as when I was looking, and by the way, even the CNN headline that I saw, which was a buried headline, was Israel responds to rocket fire. <laughs> right. Right. Which is still, of course, always putting Israel on the the one who's the active side and the passive side being. Why is um, that? Why does the news, even when they put that headline, say Israel responds to rocket fire without having had an earlier story saying rockets from Gaza b- bombard Israel, southern Israel? Well, I would say that's a different headline even from what we sometimes see is Israel launches attacks against Gaza without any mention of what's come beforehand from the Palestinian side. So I would almost put it like that that's, uh, there's like three levels, and the one that Alan was describing is the second. Um, and the, 
The most outrageous level is when it is the one that I just described. And the third level would actually be where there's sort of like a balance between a proper explanation of what happened and, and why and what the response and reaction was. Well, I guess my question, but my question is, why wasn't the news covered of rockets flying into Israel and mortars? I, 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 I feel like it was actually. Not, where? I mean, Roseanne Parr took... Outside of Israel? To an extent, it was on the BBC and things like that. Again, I'm checking the British news, so it's a little bit different. But it, it was on the BBC. It wasn't some of the British newspapers, um, and it wasn't. Well, I get it wasn't CNN, but it's fairly low down on the feed, is what I mean. And right. I, yeah, yeah, Rose, I didn't Rose see Rose that is top. Is top, of course. Even in Britain, she's top. And that was the top the story in, in British like in the BBC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're still getting over the, the royal wedding. They're still celebrating uh, having the Sheva Bracha as well for them, whatever. But. Uh, it was a nice Western civilization while it lasted. I think there are various factors why the news is less interested in Gaza bombing Israel than Israel bombing Gaza. Because it's like the underdog. We always like the underdog. So I don't know that they're that conscious. I, I'm, I'm, I am suspicious that there is conscious distortion. I, 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 because I'm, you think it sells better? I'm skeptical. I think it's a few issues. I think one is the reporters are not in Gaza, they're in Israel. So they report on Israel. No reporter in his right mind wants to be stationed in Gaza. But Israel is full of foreign reporters who get to work during the day and then go to cafes and discos and movies and plays. And so they report on Israel and so that ends up being the story. Also in Gaza, they kill journalists who don't say nice things about them, or at least threaten them. So journalists are nervous to report on Gaza. And, and here's the ugly one, uh, there is an actual cliche that journalists have, uh, which is, if a dog bites a man, that's not a news story. If a man bites a dog, that's a news story. And so the idea of uh, Arabs in the Middle East launching rockets into a civilian population I think is sort of boring in the West, but people that the West perceives as white people uh, shooting Arabs, I, I think is interesting. And I think you are right that the, 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 the framing narrative of the media is that Israel is the power and therefore Israel is the problem and therefore you just report what Israel does. And that's the whole story. The Palestinians or Israel can solve the problem, being the yeah. power, they can solve the problem. Well, if there's a problem, it must be Israel's fault, because who else is there? Right. The story is Israel. Um, which takes us to, like, why, why, like, what happened? Why all of a sudden, you know, I mean, there's been tension, obviously, building, but, and this surprised the, the residents of the South also is the biggest surprise, is that even though there's been a lot of tension and back and forth and, and border skirmishes and even rocket here or two, usually you get like like days of built up 10 rockets, 20 rockets, 30 rockets. And here all of a sudden, you know, it was over, you know, 70, 100 different accounts of different yeah, things. My phone alarm was going on. Yeah. One all day. It's a good in, thing in real, to like have 12 that, hours, a little bit more. Yeah. About 24 hours, let's say. Um so, like, what, how do we make sense of that? Like, what exactly happened? And then all of a sudden, now it's, now it's completely quiet again. <laughs> right? And now it's, like, totally quiet. Yeah, I, I, I haven't read any analysis that, that has figured it out yet. My guess is always that it is not about Israel. 
It's some internal political issue that somebody is yeah. launching rockets to look like a big shot or to distract or to that. that there was that, even one theory that, that Iran was putting pressure because it was really started by the Islamic Jihad. Yeah. Who's backed by Iran. So there's one narrative out there saying that Iran was putting pressure because of the, you know, last month's Golan thing or whatever that was even. Yeah, so, it could be. Which is scary. So which is scary in the north. Also, don't forget, Iran still hasn't unleashed Hezbollah on us, and Hezbollah right. is is the force in the region to be reckoned with. Although I'm skeptical that they're as serious a force as people claim. Like, there's no well, way. Either way, it's a. Either yeah. way, it brings up like all of a sudden a lot of issues that we we sort of live in this sense of insecurity here. No. Well, I, I do think that when people around the world talk about Israel and how to make life better for the Palestinians, and they don't raise Israeli security to a paramount importance in their conversation, Israelis will tune them out. Because if you don't discuss Israel's problem with the Palestinians and mention Israeli security as a serious problem, you know, there are children in the South last night who went to sleep in a bomb shelter and woke up in a bomb shelter. There are kids. We're going to have I think most most kids did actually. We're going to have another generation of kids who are traumatized and suffer post traumatic stress. If you sit outside anywhere in the world and look at Israelis and go, "Oh, they don't care about Arabs," it's not that they don't care about Arabs. It's that they care about their security. They want their children to be able to go to bed at night. And if you don't talk about Israelis that way, Israelis will not listen to you, because quite frankly, you're being a disgusting idiot. It doesn't – not to diminish that the life of Arabs in, in Gaza isn't difficult and horrible. I'm sure it is. I don't, know that, I don't know how bad it is exactly, but I've heard terrible stories. In the West Bank, I don't know how bad it is compared to what people think, but it's not great. I wouldn't want to be an Arab living in the West Bank or Gaza if I had my choice. No way. But, but, I, but I, I just, just wanted to add to that just – 100% about that. But the interesting thing about last night's also was that Saul hit something like 65 targets in Gaza, took a lot of action, and there have been no casualties. Amazing. Blew Amazing up tunnels. Ju- yeah. It's the best army so in the world, and it's the most moral army in the world. Finished. Finished. Enough. Enough, enough arguing with silly, silly, mean right. people who, who think Israelis are interested in hurting other people. When what they're really interested in is protecting their own, and Israel has and also, yeah, yeah, go ahead. It also seems that like there was like this concentrated effort to, like I don't know, this like we're having this twenty-four hour little spout, and then we're going to go back. Uh, Avi Isserkov said back to their corners, like a like fighters, you know, duking it out, and then the bell rings, and they go back to their corners. Because whatever so the, the group is, if they're resting, like to like come back stronger and fight again. Or if that's it, like if they're now going back to the dressing room and they're done, there's the never locker room, as you would say. Well, never be back to the dressing room and done. There's never a, that's it. Yeah. It's it's just a question no, of I'm degree. Saying, so then coming back into the ring and, and starting again. Yeah, it's just a matter of time. That's all. They don't want be, another you know, a they day, a month, a year. They don't want another tsuke time. They don't want another right, protective. The, they don't want a full scale Israeli invasion. So they're gonna. It's brinksmanship. <laughs> it's how much can I push that Israel's going to push back? Neither side. Wants it to be full blown, and so uh, why a, doesn't Israel want it to be full blown? 
right? So we know that the the right Palestinians don't want another Suketan, and it certainly would threaten Hamas's leadership there. So why why doesn't Israel want to just like you know try and do something massive? Well, because it's just playing whack-a-mole, and you're going to end up hurting civilians. It's going to be a PR damage to Israel. We don't want to kill civilians or make life worse in Gaza. I, I don't understand why that would be. I, I don't understand the question. No, I think it's also in the I think sense it's also, that what's to, why would it possibly be to our advantage? Right. Well, so why do we want to endanger soldiers? Soldiers unnecessarily. For, for instance, the, because the the residents of the South often say, "Well, why, why can't you do something about this once and for all?" You know. Why can't, you know, it's like, uh, you know, stop this once and for all, do a major thing. That, that, that's, that, that's often the question people ask. Why isn't Saul do something? If we are such a strong army, I mean, we are such a strong army, why don't we just... Uh, because you're talking about a civilian area. So basically, what would an answer be? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying this would be my personal answer, but someone said, let's just carpet bomb. Let's just carpet bomb the place. Take it right. back to the first We hear that century. from not a, not a few students. We hear that from a, not a few students, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, again, but that's, because that's as Mike silly. said before, we're the most moral army in the world. We're not trying to hurt innocent people. We're not trying to take people out of the 21st century and return them back to the Stone Age. That's not what we're trying to do here. So then you have to think it's much more preci- precision, and that precision is much harder to do. I'll be jerkier than that. Let's forget morality for a second. Let's say we commit genocide in Gaza. God forbid. God forbid. Well, that's going to I solve- hope this isn't edited out, so you just get that. Uh, no, that's going to make Israel's life better. If there's no more Palestinians, of course, I it, mean, it will. Of course, and Israel will. becomes a pariah nation. The entire Middle East gangs up against us. The the UN declares that we're uh, we have yeah, to. That, be- that, that's not what you asked. That is exactly uh, what I asked. No, you're always taking it to a second stage. Whenever we have these conversations, you're, you're then bringing it to the second stage. I'm just taking the very because, first part of your equation. Because li- the because first part life of your equation is. Not- is if- Geopolitics is not checkers, it's chess. You can't reflexively think about the next jump. You have to think five steps ahead. You have to have a beginning game, a middle game, and an end game. And so while it is true that it would be a disaster. Okay, but let's reset this in a different way. Let's re-ask your question in a different way. If there uh, there was no enemy on the border... Would Israel live in a happier time and with more prosperity and happiness and peace? Yes. Of course. Okay, that's how I took your question initially. But when you understand how that may, may not be achieved, then there's an, it's much more complicated than that. Well, it's also, it's also I, I don't want our 18 to 21-year-olds murdering children. So there's also the moral component. But I, I honestly I, am I th- well, silly enough. Well, I think, I right. think a little but bit I think goes on back a practical, to... What, what I, I guess what I'm arguing is you do well when you do good. What I'm arguing is, and maybe I'm naive in believing this, that when you take the moral high ground, you will get the best outcomes for yourself. And that when you betray your moral values, you will self-defeat. Yeah. And there's also another, there's also a real politics structural thing going, you know, why Israel doesn't try and do a bigger change of like a regime or what have you in, in, in Gaza which is, I think it comes down to what we were saying before, is that the Palestinians are actors and they need to act. You know what I mean? They, they, they you know, That's this cannot change do. unless they decide to change, right? What they can't change. You can't now, change it until the Palestinians decide to change. What you're describing right. is neo-colonialism. When a Western power goes into a foreign country and plays with its regime so that they can get the kind of regime that they want. It's not only immoral because it's colonialist, 
it's self-defeating because at some point you're going to get blowback. Go, go, well, ask, go ask the Ayatollah how, how Iran's turned out since the CIA got rid of their democratically elected president. Uh, what's his name? Mogadet in the 60s or whatever his name is. And you ended up with a shot. Well, you're missing my point. I think you're taking going the wrong way with the point. The point is, is my point is, is that the Palestinians need to to make decisions about the future of the Palestinians, and nothing's going to really change here until they do, right? Which is different than what's happening in the West Bank, in many different ways. How is it different? I think. I mean, it's a different type of dysfunction. Mahmoud Abbas went into the hospital. In the West Bank, you mean you have Israel? They're working with Israel to maintain their security. This man is on his way out. He's not going to live that much longer. What's the plan of succession? They're going to have a fight. Right, but we know that also. But we also know that Assad is still in power because of Israel. That's right. But Israel cannot resurrect him from the dead, and he's going to drop dead in the near future. And because Israel doesn't meddle with regime change because that's self-destructive and immoral, they're going to have a headless kleptocracy somewhere in the near future where an irresponsible, corrupt government is going to have a mafia battle for who's going to take over. And it may end up that when the capo de tutti capo, the head gangster, (laughs) dies – that you may have either somebody can take over the crime family or you may have the crime family split into many crime families because nobody is going to have enough power or control to lead the whole structure. So I, I heard, heard from a, I was heard from a Palestinian we brought to one of our schools today since I don't know if he wants, you know, me to say out I won't I won't say his name but No, for sure. Um, sure one of our schools you know from from Bethlehem uh, and he said, I asked him, so like, uh, you know, what do Palestinians, you know, your age, he's younger, he's, you know, in his, I think, early 30s or so. Um, Palestinians your age, what do they think about, you know, what, like, how do they think about the situation? Like, what's their, in- he says they think things are pretty bad and only going to get worse. And then he, I didn't ask him about what he thought of when, uh, when I saw it, when, um, What's his name? Abbas dies, but he he offered it. Uh, he started talking about when Abbas dies, um, or and he the said, Palestinians are talking about when Abbas dies. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, he said that he thinks that you know, first of all, yes, a very potential for kind of a civil war, like you were kind of describing. But he also said that the potential for kind of uh, an intifada, like the first intifada, where you have thousands of youth. Going out to the streets, um, like an angry um, demonstration. How many demonstrations? You know what we would call, you know, rock throwing protests, uh, bur- tire burning, maybe against well, their not, leadership, not the, maybe against their leadership, like against what we Israelis. Weeks ago you know, in Gaza. yeah, kind of all all hell break loose, more or less, um, because they really have no hope. This is why um, in democracies. We have plans for succession, and as a society, we honor the transfer of the peaceful transfer of power. And whenever that happens, you hear commentators saying, "Well, there's a new prime minister, the peaceful succession of power," and they always make a big deal about it. And it always sounds like empty rhetoric 
until you realize if you don't have a plan for succession, there's a really good chance of blood in the streets. Yep. And uh, so Abbas, well, maybe that we start talking about Abbas. Abbas uh, got out of the hospital yesterday. Was it yesterday or today he got out of the hospital? I think it, a couple of days. I think yesterday he appeared at uh, whatever their government thing is. From whatever fake he had government thing it is. with pneumonia. Yeah. Right. Uh, in uh, he had a bout with pneumonia, which he then blamed on Israel, the American embassy opening up in Jerusalem. Yeah, of course, that, that was, was connected, causation and correlation together. Uh, then, right? I don't know how you get pneumonia from that, but I could understand if he had a heart attack or something. But you know, um, but he was in the hospital, and of course, that brings up a lot of these issues of of uh, what's going to happen. Somebody pointed out to me that this was like the last months of uh, Arafat's life also. There would be mysterious ailments and weird information, and his health deteriorated. Wasn't, like, he, wasn't there was like this whole conspiracy theory about being poisoned? Whatever yep, happened yep, that? yep, yep. I mean, yeah, yeah. what happened was what happened with the conspiracy theories, and he was suggesting that we may end up in a similar situation with, uh, with Abbas. It's possible. Right. His his wife took Israel to court or something to try and prove that they poisoned him. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but Abbas, maybe we should just a little explain the structure. When was the last election? Two thousand and. I think he's in the fourteenth year of his four year term after losing an Four. election. Right. So that would have been put in two thousand and four. I think okay. so. Okay. I don't know. Um. Can't remember, but whatever it is, he's the the head of the Palestinian Authority. Well, I, right, the Palestinian Authority. The Palestinian Authority um, was uh, was was created in the Oslo process to represent the Palestinians in in the West Bank, Gaza, as a um, as a uh, autonomous uh, government ruling. Right, those areas that we talk about, A, B, and C. Um, uh, a, B, and C are uh, um, right. Uh, Palestinians control area A civilly and security-wise. That's under the Palestinian Authority. Area B, the Palestinian Authority is con- in control of civil administration, and Israel is in control of of security. And area C is Israel's, which is uh, control of military and uh, and civil. Um, that's where most of the settlements are and whatnot. Um, but the Palestinian Authority, which Abbas rules, is just is is really just rules in the West Bank, whereas Hamas rules in in Gaza. But part of the politics that we're talking about before is that they both um, they've on and off again talks and and agreements about uh, having a unified government. Um, but those uh, and I think that that kind of plays a little bit into what we're talking about. These what Mike, we were talking about a little bit like. The complicated nature of internal politics, which actually also uh, sparks the rocket fire, and and yeah. all of those things. Um, so, Abbas, we're waiting to see. It seems like we're sitting in a status quo or a stagnant status quo until something happens with Abbas. No. Uh, yeah. I, I literally nobody knows. Right. Well, the, the the interesting thing is when you suggested that maybe we should talk about that this evening, um, my response was, well, we, we don't know. Like we're playing what-if games here. We really have no idea. None of us are uh, We should, but our listeners prophet, should be aware so. that this is what Palestinians are on edge about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. As they go through Ramadan, this is their big current concern. 
and obviously there's major overspill into Israel. I mean, what's interesting is I wonder if it's got any impact on what's happening in Gaza. I don't know how the two would, would play with each other at all. If you think about, like, well, they may not make so much logical sense, the timing kind of fits together, right? If you think about that, he went into hospital last week, and then he's just, like, coming out of the hospital, and then things escalate in the in Gaza. I don't know if that was Hamas. We talked before about we always get one somebody in, in Gaza trying to be the tough guy. Maybe that was a statement. Like we can do action, we can do things against uh, Israel. I haven't seen any like commentators mention that, but now it just occurred to me. It's not such a crazy idea. That's an interesting finish, Matt. Nobody's made that in the uh, connection in the uh, in the press. You heard it here first on the Teachers Lounge right. Lounge Teacher Podcast, Jerusalem, whatever we want to call it. You heard it here first, people. And do we want to close discussing our new uh, immigrant oligarch? Or is he a new oligarch the immigrant? Of football club, excuse me? Maybe, maybe we should send him over to the West Bank so he can take a boss's place. He likes running things. He knows how to do it, apparently maybe, very successfully. Well, if he started a business, if he planted some factories there and helped the uh, Palestinian economy and showed them that plugging into the Western world would actually be to their advantage. But that's a different story. But you feel you're, you're, upset, you're upset at Matt that he's allowed to immigrate because he's Jewish? Or that you just don't like Chelsea? I think it's the latter. I feel like, like Michael is, uh, is misquoting me or, or twisting I'm my asking. words. No, it was a question. And it's not because and it's not because my son-in-law uh, uh, what is the word? Uh, not li- What do you say in England? Supports. Supports Manchester, yeah. Okay, well there's two, there's two big Manchester teams now, but um... I, I, look, I, I think what's uh, what's been highlighted over, over this whole ins- this whole uh, episode with him being able to make Aliyah to give the the, the feed, to give a little bit of background to it. Basically, his visa for uh, to live in Britain came up for renewal, and because Britain has very strained relations right now with Russia, they are not um, processing some of the visa applications as quickly as they had done once upon a time, even for people who contribute significantly to the British economy. Um, and he was concerned what was going to happen, how he was going to de- deal with that on a logistic level. Uh, so instead, he turned up and said, I want to make Aliyah, and overnight became Israel's richest uh, citizen with a fortune of several billion dollars. Um, and it made, it made international news. It really did. And one of the questions people asked him is, we don't get it. Like, this guy can just suddenly live somewhere else. He gets a 10-year tax hiatus on, on all the profits he makes from investments overseas. And, of course, Britain has a decent relationship with Israel, and Israeli citizens do not need a visa, at least for short-term visits, to England. So all of this kind of seems to be a marriage of convenience, which people are now asking, uh, is that really appropriate that um, you should be able to take advantage of the system in that way? I don't know, but it's interesting because, again... The story is that a rich, immoral person has taken advantage of the system to his benefit. What was that you said before about the dog biting the man and the man biting the dog? Yeah, I mean, this is this is this is breaking news. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it, but like I said, it, it, I don't know how the coverage happened in uh, in the United States. How, how did the again, olig- how did the Russian oligarchs Russia. become Russian oligarchs? <laughs> Took advantage of the systems. Correct. As soon as the Soviet Union went from a from a communist economy to a capitalist economy. These people swooped in with connections to the government and bought at bargain basement prices 
all the, the, the basic things that the state owned, all the, the mining, all the resources, all the factories. Gas, and they, oil. They jumped in, instantly privatized it to friends and, and buddies and became multi-billionaires <laughs> overnight. And now all industry, instead of being run by the right. state, is run by these rich, disgusting people. So it also had to have, had something to do with like did they had the people who had like connections outside of the Soviet Union so they could like get money quickly. Did well, they're they? playing all these international yeah. financing games, right? Where they're laundering money so that they can buy things around the world. They're, they're, these are professional exploiters. That's what they are. They are right, but all of this Karl does not reflect on Israel's immigration uh, policy. That if you're born into the tribe as such, it, it, it sounds very. He took advantage yeah, of that. He took advantage. Yeah, the law of return says. I can see why people says, have a problem with it. I can see how people have a problem with evil people. I, if somebody exploits a policy in an evil way, I think that's bad. But that doesn't really speak to the policy. Right. I mean, I mean, if you, if you know, your children are American citizens, right, Matt? Yes, they are. So. No matter really what they do, as long as they don't break the world rule, the sorry, the law, they can go and live in America and be citizens, right? Mm-hmm. They are citizens. So that's the same thing here. That's the same thing here. Jews, essentially, that's the idea. of The law of return is that Jews are citizens already. They just need to fill out the paperwork. Right? No, I, I, I understand so, that. But I'm saying if you're a non-Jewish observer sitting in wherever it is in England in this case, and you see that, you're thinking, well, there's something not quite. Okay. I, again, I understand your point. I'm not disagreeing with you, but it, it just—it was interesting to me that the law of return suddenly made the front pages of British uh, online newspapers and, and chat groups and things that this became a thing. Also, because of his profile as one of the owners of one of the right. successful so soccer it, clubs, it, it raised the, the stakes a bit as well in that sense. So here we see a little bit of a cultural thing going on. I think interestingly, Beninu, because it didn't—I didn't see it hit any American papers. Did you, Mike? I didn't see it in American papers, but I did see it in Israeli papers. Yeah, certainly. In, in, in Israel, papers, it's big news too, because sure. again, he overnight became Israel's richest citizen, which some may argue is a dubious uh, claim to fame. The other thing that I think I mentioned before is apparently he, he uh, bought Gal Gadot's old home, which is also big news. Yeah. You know, anyone that's going to buy her house, is, it's big news as well. So maybe he'll do a shiputz, a renovation, and maybe he'll get Mike's guy who does his shiputz for him to. To no. come and do it, who knows? No, he doesn't work uh, on the uh, Israel side of the Green Line. Uh, okay. I was going to say, he gets so much work in a front, he doesn't need to. He does. He, he so gets... Roman Abramovich is out of luck. He'll have to spend his billion dollars of uh, interior design budget somewhere else, I guess. He'll probably be okay. I'm not too worried about him. I mean, I'd be worried about his afterlife, but for this life, he's probably going to do all right. <laughs> if you're listening, Roman, when, when nothing personal against you, friend. Some of my best friends are oligarchs. I wish. Or maybe I don't. I wish I had a best friend that was not like that. That's it. All right. So, so, uh, this episode from uh, On the Cliff, either there'll be a bridge by the time we get there, or we're all going over the cliff together. How's that? (laughs) I don't know. know. We got these rockets from Gaza. We got a boss about to die. So far, everything's good. (laughs) Let's see what happens. Kamzulatova. <laughs> In the end, it's all good. All right. Thanks so much, Matt. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Alan. Uh, it's, been a, it's been real. It's been unreal. Bye-bye. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Jerusalem U, the Israel Teachers Lounge podcast. Please feel free to subscribe through whichever service you use. Also, come join us on the Facebook page and ask us questions and keep up to date with what we're doing. We love feedback. Also, we would really appreciate it if you could take a few minutes and review and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher. It would make a very big difference for us. And you would earn our eternal gratitude. Thanks so much. 